Well, good morning, Sunridge. How are you doing today? Good. Good? Worship team, thank you so much. How many of you guys enjoy this setup here? Oh, apparently this isn't as fun as I thought it is. I love this. We just might as well call ourselves Fun Ridge. This is great. Again, this is not an Oompa Loompa-themed birthday party, as, Be as Becky alluded to earlier this morning. These are representative of all of the runners and walkers that are at the LA Marathon today, running and walking for clean water. Isn't that so, so great? Well, when I was a kid, one of the dreams I had, I had a ton of them, was that I would be a newscaster. And we're actually live on the streets of L.A. right now. I think we are not live on the streets right now. So the plan was to Skype our lead pastor, Britt, in. And I'm assuming that we will get him at some point. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing something. What is it? Just yell at me and tell me what's wrong. No video. No video. Oh, I can't be a newscaster. Man, I was so looking forward to that part, you know, where you say back to you, Bob, but I guess I'm not even on the field, so that wouldn't even matter. I'm the one that's inside. Well, oh, we're here. We are live. We are totally live. Pastor Britt, Chief, Rev. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, a live feed of the LA Marathon. Yeah. Hey. You got me? What's up, Rev? I hear you. I see you. Am I on? You are on. You hey, look son, great. Man. What's going on? Let me huddle. Let me huddle. Hey, Sunridge. What's up, Sunridge? Oh. Let me huddle. And he and Lindsay is the one who started us here with Team World Vision. So take a look here. I'm running to go and This is it, you guys. Talk a little bit louder, Rev. Britt, thanks so much. See you, Britt. We are continuing in a series called Deeply Rooted, where for the last several weeks, we have engaged with this idea that if we have a deeply rooted faith, it will produce all sorts of wonderful things, not only for ourselves, but for the world around us. And today, I get to share about something that I am particularly passionate about, and it is sharing our faith, sharing the gospel. Some people call it evangelism. I like to call it real life. But before I get there, I've got three stories. One is in and out. The other is in a Kaiser Permanente parking lot. And the third is at Angel Stadium. So let's begin with in and out 
I think I had just finished working out or something, and it was the very first time that I'd sat at the single bar counter for all of us that don't go there with other people, and we sit there and eat by ourselves. Well, that's what I was doing. And so I was waiting for my order, a three-by-two mustard fried with a whole grilled onion, add chilies cut in half, a French fry with spread and grilled onions only, please. I know you're judging me because there are Christians out there, and Christians are good at judging, but don't judge me. If you want to uh, see someone order really well, hang out with our high school pastor, Mojo. He is amazing at that stuff. But anyway, I'm sitting there waiting for my food, being a normal person, when suddenly to my left, a gentleman somewhat conspicuously takes a seat a few bar stools over, and he starts leaning in my direction, and I'm thinking, what is going on here? And then he says these words, excuse me, sir. I say, what's up, man? Have you ever noticed the pitch of the ceiling? And I think, no, I've actually, no, I've never. And then he proceeds to say this, you know, there's a Hebrew word, something about God. And I realize as, he, as soon as he says Hebrew, I realize what's happening. And so I'm really interested to hear how he is potentially going to share the gospel because I might pick up a few tricks or something. And so he says there's this Hebrew word. And then suddenly I hear an In-N-Out worker yell, order number 181. And the guy goes, you know what? That's my food. Have a great day and take care. And he just leaves. I'm like, oh man, I was so excited. So that's one end of the spectrum. A little bit odd. Maybe we've been there. Maybe we're the ones attempting to do that. But I know I'm sure his heart was in the right place. On the other end of the spectrum, I'm at the Kaiser Permanente in Riverside. And my wife is pregnant at the time with our third child. And so we've got our two little guys in tow and my wife's, you know, glowing. And so I, why are you laughing? It's true. Goodness gracious. Going to get me in trouble here. And we're about to enter into our minivan when a guy and his wife see us and they're about to enter in their car. I see him open up his door. He reaches in and grabs something and turns around and heads towards me and he says, Man, I know that this might be kind of weird. It's out of left field, but I saw you and your wife and your kids, and I saw it's really important that you see this. And so I reach out my hand and take a hold, and there's this four-by-six card, and on it is the name of a church in Riverside. And I'll tell you, I, I looked at that, and I was just so struck with gratitude. I said, man, thank you so much. I said, you have no idea. He said, I actually get to go to a church in Temecula, but this means, this means the world to me. You know what's crazy? That, that man had no idea that vocationally I'm a pastor and, you know, that we go to this church, but he just cared enough because he saw a dad and a mom and their kids and, and thought they ought to have this. And as he was leaving, you know, we were, just, he, he, he said, he asked this question, are they pointing you to Jesus there? And I said, yeah, you know, they actually are. And he said, that's great, young man. That's all that matters. And he got in his car, he and his wife, they pulled out. And I'm sitting there in our minivan holding the steering wheel. And I'm like, God, why can I be like that? <laughs> man, what an amazing story. I think we find ourselves somewhere on that spectrum of giving or receiving when it comes to the gospel, wanting to, maybe not being sure, having some interesting way that we're going to break the news, or on the other hand, just genuinely seeing people and feeling nudged and as if they need to hear about Jesus, and so we go and do something. I think we find ourselves there, but my third story at Angel Stadium, to me, really communicates what I believe sharing the gospel ought to be like. I have a friend named Letty 
Letty is an amazing woman. You talk to Letty, she'll talk about growing up in the Bronx and being from Cuba, but I think she says Cuba. I'm not sure. She's been a missionary all over South America, but for the last 10 or so years, she's been in Orange County, probably longer than that, actually. But Letty decided that with the help of some friends, she would adopt a neighborhood in this place called Placentia on a street called Cypress Street. And it's pretty remarkable because if you were to go 15 minutes east of that, you would enter into a town called Yorba Linda. And Yorba Linda is an incredibly affluent place. I got to work at a church in Yorba Linda called Friends Church for almost five years. And so 15 minutes of time separates a place where there are lots of big cars, lots of big wedding rings, big building and all that stuff. And just down the road, you have a neighborhood that is incredibly rough, not just around the edges, but all over. And so Letty decided with a few friends again that they would adopt this place, start bringing after-school tutors, start cleaning it up, have soccer tournaments, the whole nine yards. And Letty tells this story about this field trip where she takes a group of kids from Cypress Street to Angel Stadium. And when we go to a ball game, we like to sit where we can generally see, but of course, they are up at the highest point of the stadium, the good old nosebleeds. And they're standing there together as the game, I assume, is about to begin. And this little boy is holding Letty's hand. And he looks up to Letty and he says these words, I never knew that the world was this big. I never knew that the world was this big. Every single time I share that story, I still get chills. And when I think about the good news, what we call the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to me, that story epitomizes that, not just from a literal perspective, but in fact, from a perspective of what God is trying to do for all of us. I think that over and over in our lives, when we are encountered by the goodness of God's grace and what he has done for us in and through Jesus, it's like we stand at a high place and look out and go, I never knew the world was this big. Because following Jesus shows us that there is a way of living and being and seeing and hearing and giving and serving and receiving and loving and sacrificing and forgiving and all that stuff that's so far outside of what we're inclined to do on our own. You know, people say that things are either black or white. And when I was growing up, people said black, white, and then some people started talking about the gray, right? There's black, there's white, and then there's a gray area. When I look at Jesus, you know what I see? When I think about the gospel, when I think about Jesus, I don't see just black or white or gray. I see color. I think that Jesus is inviting us to a life where we don't just see this or that. Jesus is attempting to pull us out of ourselves to see this world in color and to be genuine about what that color means, that sometimes it's incredibly vibrant, and then there are other times when it's incredibly dark. But either way, he's helping us see it in a fresh way as we are there. We see the world in color with Jesus. And that, to me, reminds me that there's a whole world around us where we are included, where we need to be continually invited to see that it's not just this or that, but this. You've heard Jesus say things like, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor hate your enemy, 
But I say unto you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's colorful. That's difficult. That's life-changing. And so this morning, as we talk about sharing our faith, I'm going to be a little bit outside of my comfort zone. Typically, when I teach, I've got one section of Scripture, and then I pull in some others, but we, we, we tend to stay in one chunk. But this morning, I'm going to start with one verse in Scripture, and then we'll pull in a few others. And we're also going to parallel a, a progression that I've used as I think about things that are important that, um, that allows me to think about sports as well. But I'll get to that in a second. So here's the passage of Scripture, one that has been a guiding verse for me for many years. It comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. And Paul writes this to the church in Thessalonica in what may be the oldest letter in the New Testament. He says these words, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but... But our lives as well. Other translations, I think that's NRSV. Oh, no, that's good. Other translations would say our own selves. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. In one verse, we see that it's not just about handing things out or speaking at a corner or making friends. It's a collision, a beautiful collision of sharing this truth and actually living it out in proximity, real relationships and real people. So here's that progression that allows me to think about sports. First service, I talked about baseball, but I didn't play baseball, so it was kind of hard to talk about it. So I'll talk basketball because I played basketball. There are foundational things, fundamental things, and then there's freedom and fun. So for basketball, foundationally, what do you need? A ball and a hoop. Or as kids, we use waste baskets and socks. But a ball and a hoop, right? To play basketball, you need a basketball and a hoop. And you can play. It'll never change, right? You can't play basketball without those two things. And there are other things that you could say you need, but really that's all you need. Then you move to the fundamental stuff. When you play basketball, there are things that your coach teaches you how to do. And so by repetition and over the course of practices and learning, you learn how to screen, how to cut, right? How to pass the ball and move. You learn that stuff. Those are the ways that you play this game. And if you continue to do those things over and over and over, at some point it becomes freeing and fun. And when you're out there playing the game, you're not just hearing your coach yell at you. You're actually enjoying this game, this beautiful game called basketball. When it comes to sharing our faith, I think we can take that type of progression. There are foundational things. There are fundamentals that we can continue to return to. And then at some point, there's freedom as we experience what it means to not just attend and to receive, but to go out and share. So here are the two foundational things that we need. We found it in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. Number one, in love we share the gospel. In love we share the gospel. What is the good news? 
Well, here's the reality. You may have had people tell you that there's one way to do it. You may have seen an advantage cube. You may have had someone say, here's the formula. But the reality is if you look throughout the New Testament, there are a whole multitude, multitude excuse me, of ways that the gospel, the good news of Jesus is shared. And that is freeing because it reminds us that we don't have to have just this one way. The common denominator, of course, is Jesus not just dying on the cross, as Levi prayed earlier, but rising from the dead. That is the core of it. And so if you see those passages, if you have the note sheet and you read through them, you will realize that in all these different places, there are different ways that a gospel is being shared. I'll take you to uh, one of the best ways, I think, that kind of covers all the bases in Titus. If you have your Bibles, if not, it's going to be up on the screen. And so Titus chapter 3, I think, puts this incredibly well. Verse 3 says this, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, despicable, hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Spirit. This Spirit he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is sure. I desire that you insist on these things so that those who have come to believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable to everyone. What an awesome collection of different parts and pieces of what you've heard as the gospel. I mean, it covers God coming as Jesus, the Holy Spirit, baptism, not being saved by works of righteousness, and it talks about how there are still good works for us to do. I love this. And yet here's the reality. As I read that, a lot of you guys, and myself included, we kind of just sat here. You see, the reality is hearing words, hearing someone tell you about Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead, that's not just going to be it. Are there times when people hear and miraculously it's, they're awakened and they receive, yeah. But you know, for the most part, you and I get to be a part of the process. And it's not just about speaking words. It's about sharing life. So here's the second foundational thing. In love, we share our lives. I love that. In love, we share our lives. And I'll speak more about that in a little bit later. 1 John 3.16, not John 3.16, which you may know, but 1 John 3.16 says this, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. There's a sacrificial component to sharing life and loving each other because when we decide to be with someone we're not anywhere else. Right now, you're sitting in a chair here, and you could be at home getting more sleep or watching March Madness or surfing or having brunch, but you decided to be here this morning. There's nowhere else that you can be. And in relationships, when we are with someone, whether it's sharing coffee or having conversation in the workplace or with a family member over a meal, that person with you right there is getting a part of your life. And we're going to talk a little bit later about what it means to me to actually share life. So those are the foundational things. 
let's move to some fundamentals. In other words, let me give you some things that have been helpful for me over the years as I have wrestled with and considered how I can be a part of bringing this amazing news to the world around me. So here's the very first one. We cannot share unless we continue to receive. We cannot share unless we continue to receive. There's this old joke that pastors have given over and over and over again where they talk about little kids and that first word that they say that reminds us that they're sinners. You know, I know they're talking about the doctrine of original sin, but you know what I'm talking about, that joke? What's the word? Kids say, mine, right? Pastors are doing that joke over and over and over again where they say, you don't have to teach a kid how to say mine. And then they say, and that just shows us that we're all sinners. And I, I totally understand what we're trying to get to, but it's kind of silly to me because if you were a parent and you looked at your newborn child and the first thought that you had was, wow, what a terrible sinner. <laughs> I mean, we have free church counseling and I recommend that you sign up for that because that's just weird. Okay, here's the other part. There's a reason why kids say mine. When a newborn comes into planet Earth for the first time, a parent or a caretaker or a nurse or doctor, whoever it is, by this baby, instinctively will take their grown adult hand and put it in front of the child and close to their hands. And what are they going to hope for? That the child grasps on and they don't go, nope, not for you, you sinner. No, they, they want this child to hold on. They might say something like, wow, look at little Jill's grip strength. She is so strong. And then as Jill gets older and she has her bottle, maybe the parents are going to want Jill to actually hold on to that bottle. You know, it's really funny. Our first son, Thaddeus, when he was two weeks old, I think there's a picture of him that I'd manipulate. I didn't Photoshop it, but I somehow manipulated it so he was holding the bottle. And I thought, oh my gosh, my two-week-old son is holding the bottle. It's like, no, he wasn't. That was just me. But at week three, he was definitely holding his bottle. <laughs> anyway. And then little Jill grows up a little bit more, and you give her a pull toy, and what do you want Jill to do? Well, grab it and pull it. So when a few years later, little Jill has her crayon, and some other tiny little human being walks up and snatches it from her, what is she going to say? Now, here you go. No, mine. It's developmentally sound because for years, people have been having little Jill hold on to something. Doesn't that make sense? So when kids say mine, we ought to teach them how to share. That's important. We don't want to grow up just screaming mine for the rest of our lives, obviously. But there's a reason why little Jill is able to hold on at first. We've taught her that. Well, not me, her parents. So when it comes to our faith... Isn't it important, if we're going to share it, ought there not be something that we hold on to first? We don't have the opportunity to make a difference in this world via sharing the gospel if we haven't held on to it ourselves. And that's why I assume we're here, or you're doing studies apart from this place, or you're reading your Bible, you're in conversation with folks, is because you're trying to figure out how to hold this. You don't want it to just be words to you. You want it to be real life. So that's the first piece. We have to continue to receive. Here's the second fundamental thing. It's important for us to embrace our place and the people around us. I chose the word embrace for a reason. I don't know when I picked this up, but at some point working in the church, I learned how to side hug. 
I don't know why. I think it's just that, I don't know, it's supposed to be more proper. But I miss real hugs because when I side hug, it just feels like, eh. And, and there are some folks here at church, they were in first service, Patricia James and Heidi Fatter. And when you get a hug from those two, you actually feel like they care about you and you don't smell bad. And I just love those embraces. And so when I say embrace your place and the people around you, what that means is we really are intentional about where we are and where we live. You have a home that you go home to or a place that you live at, a street that you live on. You were at 42299 Winchester Road, Temecula, California, 92590. You are here. There are gyms that you work out at. There are coffee shops that you frequent. There are workplaces that you go to and schools that you might be at and family members that I don't know that you do. You are the only person that gets to travel your particular path and encounter your people. God can use you and he wants to. So embrace it. Don't side hug it or ignore it. Embrace it wholeheartedly and realize that you may not think that you're qualified or special, but if you have a beating heart and you are alive, which you are, then live and be where you are and enjoy it. Because there are people who need to receive from you. So let's keep moving. If you get to the place where perhaps you are sitting with a friend or a coworker or a family member and you actually get to share, I'd encourage you to do this. Don't talk the whole time. Learn how to listen. So here's how I have reminded myself to love over the years. We can't love unless we are learning, which we cannot do unless we listen. Love equals learning equals listening to me. It's a really important progression because there are chances for us to ask people about their lives. And so one of the easiest things that you can do is if you actually get to sit across from someone and say, hey, what's your story? How'd you get to this point in time? And you'll, you'll be surprised what people share when you actually ask them about their lives. And if they start sharing and you hear something that's a little interesting, ask them a little bit more about that. And you'll also find that because we live in America, most people have some sort of faith story or faith experience. They've been exposed in some sense, and so they may not believe in God anymore, but they have at least been exposed to the idea of God. They may share something that's incredibly personal. But whatever it is, you get a chance to love them by learning and listening to them. And then practically speaking, let's think about that person that you may have been wanting to invite to church for a long time. If you worked with them for years and they're right next to you in the cubicle or the office and one day you work up this courage to invite them to Easter, which is in a few weeks, and you walk next door and you go, hey, pal, would you come to Easter with me? It's like... Learn some names. Get to know these people around you. That stuff is incredibly important. So embrace your place in the people around you. Here's the next piece. We can't share from anywhere else than where we are. 
Now, I'm not talking about geographically anymore. I'm talking about emotionally and mentally, spiritually. I mean, our whole being, circumstantially. And this is where it gets really, really real to me. When I sit across from people during the week and they come to the office or I go out and meet them in coffee shops, whether it's our staff members or people from the community, I am amazed all the time about what people share. Just in this past week, I've had people talk about abuse. I've had people talk about addiction. I've had people talk about deep loneliness. I've had people talk about just this feeling of wanting to disappear forever. I've had people talk about fractured family relationships. I mean, that's just this week. And, and it hits me all the time. When I'm sitting across from people, I, I tend to, to, to realize that there's some moment during the exchange where it's as if they might feel like <clears throat> I am there to give them something. And one of the coolest things that I get to be a part of when I'm sitting across from people is to essentially remind them and to share with them that my feet are on the same ground that theirs is on. In other words, there's nothing that separates me from these people from the sense of, well, I'm, a, I'm the pastor here. You're the person that's come in and I'm here to help you. No. You know what discipleship is? It's not me to someone else or someone else to me. It's Jesus to us. And so becoming a lifelong learner and follower of Jesus means that in every situation, when I'm sharing life with people, I'm not just hearing their stories. I'm helping them see that I'm on the same ground that they are on. And I can talk about anxiety and depression as well. And I can share from moments of deep loss and pain. And I can listen as they talk about a family member who is entering rehab. All these things, I mean, it's incredible when we realize that the good news of Jesus isn't just good news for this one point in time where we accept and profess him as Lord and Savior. It's boring if it's only about one time, honestly. It is life-giving when we realize that the good news of Jesus meets us in every season of life. Again, it colors life, whether it is insanely dark or vibrant and beautiful. In all these places and times and seasons, the good news of Jesus means that he is with us throughout all of these times. So you can't share from anywhere else than where you are. So what I'm saying is this, be honest. Too many people have this misconception that Christians are these perfect people, and yet they obviously realize we're not. And so then they just start thinking about hypocrisy. Friends, let's just be honest about the fact that we are real people in real time with real issues. And to not be scared about conversations where you can talk about, if you're married, for instance, my wife and I, we, we've shared with people that there have been real moments in our relationship where we thought we made the worst mistake ever, and we've asked ourselves, how can we get out of this? 
or if you are in a period where you are insanely lonely and you feel like you're the only one who understands, it's okay to say that. It's okay for us to use words like addiction. It's okay for us to talk about things like abuse, pornography, Whatever the struggle is, whatever the reality is, there are appropriate times for us with real people that we're in relationships with to not be scared to say, you know what, I am not better than you. I'm a human being just like you. And God meets me there. Let me share as we transition into the final point in this fundamental section to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It's, it's the great commission that perhaps you've heard before where Jesus has risen from the dead. He's with his disciples and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And very truly, I will be with you until the very end of the age. You've heard that before. And we think, okay, that's, that's what Jesus is calling us to, to go and make disciples as we are going to be a part of this mission, this ministry of reconciliation. We're bringing this amazing news of Jesus to the world around us. But what we ought to see is that as we engage in this, there's actually something that ought to be happening to us. We're not just going and telling and sharing. We ourselves are being honest with the fact that we still need the good news of Jesus. And I'm reminded by that by going one verse earlier. Matthew chapter 28, verse 17, which many people do not allude to when they speak of the Great Commission, says this. When they saw him, the disciples to Jesus, they worshipped him. Semicolon, but some doubted Wow, I am so glad that the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to not be fearful of inserting that reality into that moment in time. That here are the disciples who are just in front of Jesus, who's risen from the dead. You would think there's no reason for any doubt or question whatsoever. And yet, as they worship him, some doubt. And this is not to condemn them there. I think the beauty, knowing that Jesus obviously knows what they are experiencing, that there's still, for some reason, question, he still decides to commission them. He still decides to send them out. If you are a human being, at some point in time, you have questioned the legitimacy of this. I have. And if you have been gifted by the Holy Spirit, which is a spiritual gift of faith, and it is unwavering, I, in some ways, envy you. But then in other ways, I realize that this is just a part of me walking around and being a human. And I'm comforted by the fact that in my faith heritage, at the very beginning, before the commissioning, there's doubt there, and there's question there. If you read the New Testament closely, you will see times in Paul's letters where he is tipping his cards to the fact that he is not entirely in a wonderful, believing place. When he says, I want to know Christ, 
and the power of sharing in his sufferings. And then later on he says, not that I have obtained all this, but this one thing I do. He is telling the church in Philippi, he is being honest with the fact that as he is imprisoned and things aren't going his way, there are moments when he still needs to remind himself that I want to know Christ. Because right now, it doesn't feel as though I really know. We can be honest about that stuff. And I think when we are, the beautiful thing is that if we talk about the gospel, if we share the good news, it doesn't sound like we're trying to convince ourselves anymore. I can't tell you how many times I have listened and I felt as though we are convincing or trying to convince ourselves that we believe this. And just trying to make sure that we don't miss that point in the presentation. The world and people around us and us, we pick up on that. So let's just be honest. So here is the last point before we move into that freedom section. This is not just about doing. This is about being and becoming. The goal today isn't for you to feel guilty and to walk out of this place and start telling every single person. There's not one person here that would do that. And if you did, you might be manic. That's just not how this works. We are real people who have our reservations and are working things out in our own lives. And so we realize that being a disciple of Jesus, following him and engaging in his mission for this world is a real thing where we experience life day by day and moment by moment, and Jesus is trying to do something to us the whole time. The being and becoming peace is us becoming more like Jesus. Isn't that who we're following? So let's go into this freedom section here. You know, five or so years ago, actually probably around this time, uh, I got a phone call from one of my professors or former pr professors in college, Dr. Webb, and he said, Chad, there's this church out in Temecula, and you know, they've gone through a really rough time, but I think you and your wife, Mallory, would enjoy being out there. And I said, Dr. Webb, I love you, but there's no way that we're leaving your Belinda. Thanks for the phone call. And we hung up. And that was supposed to be that. Supposed to go on my merry way in your Belinda. Well, the next day, my wife, who is more in step with the Holy Spirit than I am, obviously, she, she says, hey, why don't you just look at the role description? And so I say, okay. So I call up Dr. Webb and say, hey, Dr. Webb, you could send that thing over. I'll look at it. You know, it can't hurt. And he says, great. I know you'll love this place. And I'm thinking, of course he thinks he won. So I open this thing up, and I see the attachment, and at the very top, it says this, helping people find and follow Jesus, Sunridge's mission statement. And it hit me right between the eyes. I thought, man, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. And so we ended up moving out here. And five years later, I am so glad that I get to be a part of a church where our mission is so straightforward. We are helping people find and follow Jesus. You know what I love about that? It's not just outwardly focused, it's inwardly focused. It's allwardly focused. I'm making up a word. 
it's focused on all of us because we all need to continue to find and discover and rediscover who Jesus is and follow him. And as someone who can share about these things, but obviously, I should say obviously, I shouldn't say obviously actually, I still struggle with this stuff apart from this stage who still wonders how I ought to go about and help people find and follow Jesus, I am so glad that I can be a part of a church community that's encouraging me to do that. And isn't it crazy to hear from one of your pastors that he can say that this can still be difficult? That it's not just second nature to go out and evangelize and share the good news? There are people in my life who I know that when they look at me, they may see or hear title pastor, but they wonder, why is it that I don't then? God, I'm a human being. And Jesus has these words for me, which I will begin to close with. He has these words for me and these words for you. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Jesus has just begun his earthly ministry. A few verses before, he talks about repenting for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But then he says this to the very first disciples as he meets them at the shore of Galilee. Follow me and I will make you. And the rest of that verse says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and you would think that at the end of a message that's aimed on sharing the gospel and evangelism, I would say, well, that's it. Follow Jesus, and he's going to help you become someone that brings other people in. But let's emphasize where the emphasis ought to be placed. Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you. That is so important for us to see and to hear and to remember. He isn't saying follow this type of church or program or that pastor or this person or that method. He is saying outright and clear, follow me. And I will make you. And when I hear those words, it is so impactful for me because it reminds me that where I am in this life as a person means that I ought to be following Jesus here and now. Every single day, at some point during the day, I allow my feet to hit the ground and I consciously think about the fact that Jesus is inviting me to follow after him and walk with him. And he says that to all of us. Whether you are on this stage or on the floor, at some point we will all walk away from this building and our feet will hit the same ground, the same earth. And on this ground, on this earth, where we ought to remember that every single one of us, made in the image of God, loved by God, is encountered by a God who decided he would not just leave us to our own devices, but he would actually, at a real point in time, break into history and step on to this earth. And on this earth, he would model and show and talk about a kingdom and a way of life that was so counterintuitive. He lived this life that we would now call and we know is perfect, but so ironically looked utterly imperfect to the people around him because he touched the untouchable. He went to the marginalized. He brought worth to women and to kids. He was there with the people who others didn't think he ought to be with. He sat with the sinners. And so when the religious and the political saw him, they deemed him as a threat. 
And so as they listened to him over the years, they decided we can't have this man espouse these views that turns the world upside under in front of our very eyes. And so they took him and nailed him to a cross. And as he died there on the cross, everyone that had followed him for the three years before him looked at him and thought, what a failure. This is it. What a crazy man. He was, in fact, just a regular teacher. Nothing more there. And so depression and anxiety and fear fills their lives, and they assume that even though he talked about the resurrection, he was just like any regular person, and he was as good as dead. And yet three days later, which we will celebrate in a few weeks, what happens? The tomb is empty. Jesus risen from the dead, and he rises from the dead to invite us into new, not new life, not just something for eternity, but something that begins to take root here and now. And then he does that for us. We encounter these moments. We're not just at one point in time, but hopefully over and over through our journeys. It's as if we're little kids standing at the top of Angel Stadium, looking out at this world around us and the people around us and the place that we inhabit. And we look up to him and we say, I never knew that the world was this big. I never knew that the relationships in my life ought to function this way, that there was redemption or hope here, that this didn't have to be the end. And for every single one of us, There are people in our lives who we get to be a part of, whose stories we get to be a part of, this massive story where God is reconciling all things to himself, and perhaps someday, somewhere, another human being who you know that I don't know will also get to look up to God and say, I never knew that the world was this big. I never knew, but now I do because of you. Let's pray. Oh, so, so cool. I don't know if you guys can hear that. My ears are really bad, but did you hear some of those stats? Some of you are like, yes, kind of. So 
our team here at Sunridge raised, I think, $127,000 for clean water. And then collectively, Team World Vision across the board raised over a million dollars. And I don't even know, I'm super, super bad at math, but just for us here and our folks, that means that we have raised water for well over 2,000 people to not have to worry about clean water for the rest of their lives. Isn't that amazing? Gosh, I just, my dad is out there. He's running his very first marathon. I think that's pretty cool. So go, Dad, wherever you are. That's awesome. Hey, well, my name is Jed. It's a privilege to serve you as one of our pastors on staff. And this morning, we are continuing in our series entitled Deeply Rooted, where we've been talking about how a deeply rooted faith ought to produce all sorts of beautiful things in our lives and in the world around us. And this morning, I get to share about something that I am incredibly passionate about, something that I love. And so we're talking today about sharing our faith, sharing the gospel. Some would call it evangelism. Some would call it that thing that's absolutely terrifying. But we're going to talk about that this morning. And so to begin, I have a few stories. The first takes place in In-N-Out. The second takes place in Kaiser Permanente, actually a Kaiser Permanente parking lot. And the third one, which will transition us, takes place Angel Stadium. You guys ready to hear some stories? So, in and out. I am there. I think I just finished working out, and I'd never sat at the single bar counter before, but I decided, why not? I'm not here with my family or any friends, and so I am waiting there for my three by two mustard fried with a whole grilled onion, add chilies cut in half with a fry spread and grilled onions only. Don't judge me. I know you're Christians and you're good at that, but that's my order. If you want to hear some amazing orders, talk to our high school pastor, Mojo. He's really good at that. Anyways, so I'm there waiting for my food when suddenly a man, somewhat conspicuously, sits down a few bar stools over, and I assume that he's waiting for his food as well, and I'm the type of person who, unfortunately... I kind of want to just mind my own stuff for the most part. Jesus has tried to pull me out of that for many years, and I've gotten a little bit better. But when I'm seeing it in and out and my stomach is grumbling, I'm just kind of intent on waiting for my food. So I'm sitting there, and this guy kind of leans towards me. And I realize he's probably going to start talking to me. <laughs> and he begins with these words, excuse me, sir. I say, what's up, man? You ever thought about the pitch of a ceiling? And I look up, and I go, no, I haven't. And then he says this, and I realize what's happening. He says, you know, there's a Hebrew word for pitch, and something about God, and, and seriously, and so I'm sitting there, I'm actually kind of excited to hear how this one rolls out. Maybe I'm going to receive a new tactic of sort. And, uh, and, then it, and then suddenly over the intercom right here, order 181, and then the guy goes, well, that's my order. You have a great day. And he gets up, and he goes to grab his food. I'm like, well, man, I didn't even hear the good part. So that's that story, you know, on one end of the spectrum. On the other hand, a few months, actually a few years ago, actually, because my wife, uh, she was pregnant with our third. Uh, we had our two boys with us. We were in the parking lot at Kaiser Permanente about to head into our minivan. That's awesome. Our minivan. And this man and his wife are about to enter into their car when they see us about to load our little boys. And so... The guy actually goes in his vehicle, pulls something out, and he turns around, and he says, hey, man, I know that this might be super weird, really out of left field, but I saw you, 
and your wife and your boys, and I just felt like I had to give this to you. And so I reach out my hand, and I take this card, and it's a four by six, and I look at it, and on it is the name of a church somewhere in Riverside County. And I am just so struck by how awesome that is. And I say, man, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I said, you know, I actually go to a church down in Temecula. And he says, dude, I am so glad that you're doing that. And he says, are they pointing you to Jesus? And I said, yeah, you know, they actually are. And uh, he says, well, that's all that matters. And so God bless you and your family. I just had to make sure you had it. And I walk away, and I'll tell you guys, I got into the van, and I put my hands on the steering wheel, and I was just overcome by the boldness of this stranger who would see a little family and say, you know what? Regardless of where they are, they need Jesus. And I thought, how awesome is that? And so we've got these stories, right? In and out, Kaiser Permanente parking lot, both I know, I'm sure, had great intentions. One of them was a little bit weird. The other one acknowledged that it was kind of weird, but it ended up being a beautiful thing. And I think for a lot of us, we find ourselves going back and forth on that spectrum. Maybe we actually want to engage with that stranger, but we're not exactly sure how to do that. And so we fumble along and try something that maybe we heard someone else do, and then the next thing you know, it's like, well, good thing our food is called because I don't want to continue that train wreck. And maybe other times we just get so excited to see someone that we just feel needs to hear about Jesus. And so we go along with the nudge that the Holy Spirit gives us, and it ends up being a wonderful thing. There's a third story, Angel Stadium. And I'm removed from this one. And it's a story that a great friend of mine named Letty told me years ago. And it's continued to impact me. And I've shared it several times, but not on this stage And so Letty is a missionary who has spent so many years of her life in South America and also in the United States. And for the last 10 to 15 or so years, Letty has been predominantly staying in Orange County and loving on a street in Placentia. The street's called Cypress Street. And it's pretty remarkable because Cypress Street is only about 15 or so minutes removed from another area of town called Yorba Linda, which is where I used to work, a church in Yorba Linda, for almost five years. And Yorba Linda is a very, very affluent place. Big church, big parking lot, big cars, people with big wedding rings. I mean, it's just that type of place. And yet 15 minutes away down one street, Yorba Linda Boulevard, you can get to a place called Cypress Street. And I'll tell you, it is worlds apart. And so Letty decided that she would, with the help of some people at Yorba Linda, essentially adopt this neighborhood. And they started doing tutoring there after school and loving on these families, cleaning up trash, holding soccer tournaments, the whole nine yards, a beautiful thing. Taking the kids to places like the Huntington Beach Aquarium, taking them camping. I mean, it was just a really fun thing. Well, she has this story about how one day she takes a group of kids to Angel Stadium. How many of you have been to Angel Stadium? Yeah, pretty fun, right? And so when we go to baseball games, we like to sit in a spot where we're not too far removed from the action. I mean, for the most part, in a baseball stadium, every seat is a good seat, and I love watching ball games. Well, Letty and these kids are in the nosebleed seats. I mean, the furthest seats removed from home plate in the action that you can 
imagine. And as Letty is standing there, there's this little boy that's holding her hand. And I don't know if they were standing as the national anthem was being sung or as the planes were flying over, but for whatever reason, they were all standing together. And this little boy who's holding Letty's hand looks up into Letty's eyes and he says these words, I never knew that the world was this big. I never knew that the world was this big. You know, every time I hear that story and retell it, I get chills. I really do. I mean, I think about this little boy who for the most part spent many years of his life on the street and then would go to the neighboring school and all that stuff, and he'd never seen anything outside really of his small geographical space. And in a moment that would seem so normal to thousands of people in the stadium, this little boy's eyes are open to the fact that life is so much bigger than the street that he grew up on. And I think that parallels things from an evangelistic perspective, a sharing faith perspective. You see, when to me, when we talk about sharing our faith, bringing forth the gospel, that image of someone's eyes being open to the fact that the world is so much bigger, that to me is what Jesus does for us. You see, a lot of times we tend to think of things as black and white. It's either this way or that way. And then, I don't know, when I was growing up, it used to be popular to talk about the gray area. You guys remember that? Black, white, gray. You know what I think Jesus is out to do? What I see him do throughout scripture, he's not just about black or white things. He's about color. He's about bringing color to things. This is why he says, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say unto you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. I mean, that's colorful. It's unexpected. It's upside down. And that is what the good news, the gospel is. It's not just about this or that is that there is a whole new way of seeing and thinking and giving and receiving and being and loving and serving and walking in this world. And when we follow Jesus, our eyes continue to be opened up to that. Does that make sense? And so this morning, instead of doing what I'm accustomed to doing when I teach, and I usually have just one long section of scripture, and then we find other pieces that can tag along to that. I'm actually going to take you to one verse in scripture and then bring some others alongside. So again, I'm not accustomed to doing this, but that's the way it's going to be. First Thessalonians, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It's going to be up on the screens. I actually don't need to turn to it here. It's something that has been a guiding verse for me for many years. And First Thessalonians 2.8 says this, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Listen to that again. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, what does it say? But our lives as well. Wow. That's colorful, isn't it? I love that. And so today, as we talk about sharing our faith and bringing forth the gospel, I'm going to do something. I'm going to give us a little progression that I use in my life when I think about certain concepts and things, and it parallels the idea of sports. And so when I think about sports, there are foundational things, there are fundamental things, and eventually the game just becomes fun and freeing. 
And so I didn't play baseball growing up, but I'm going to use that analogy because we were just talking about baseball. So fun foundationally, excuse me, to baseball, to play, what do you need? A bat and a ball, right? That, that's pretty much all you need. If you want to get fancy, you can have some gloves, but really all that you need is a bat and a ball. Those are the foundational things that you need to play baseball. That'll never change. And if you bring along a football or a Frisbee, you're not playing baseball. Does that make sense? You're playing a weird game. So baseball, baseball and bat. Fundamentally, there are ways that you learn how to play baseball and rhythms and patterns that you continue to practice, right? And so again, I didn't play baseball, so I can only think of one. Keep your eye on the ball, okay? That, that's something that I assume that you hear as a kid when you play baseball, keep your eye on the ball. I've had other people yell things at me when I'm playing wiffle ball and I'm up there batting like swinging my head away and I'm missing stuff, but keep your eye on the ball. That's how you learn how to play the game. You will never forget that. You go back to that. That's how you go about playing. But then at another level, after your coach has been saying things to you over and over and you've gotten countless repetitions, there comes a point in time where I assume baseball players experience some freedom. Yes? There's some fun to be had. You have a great time playing. And I played basketball, so I should have used that analogy, but I'll use it second service. That, to me, that progression of foundational things, fundamental things, and then freedom and fun, that can parallel what it is to share our faith. And so if you have your note sheets, that's the order that we're going to be going in. And if not, you can just listen along. So what's foundational? to sharing the gospel. Well, if we're looking at 1 Thessalonians 2, 8, it begins with this. In love, we share the gospel. In love, we share the gospel. In love, we share the good news. Now, here's the deal. I very much believe that there is not one set way that we share the gospel. And you'll have people that may tell you that there's a way that you have to do it. You must mention this and this and this and this. But the reason why, if you have your note sheets, I listed a whole slew of passages there is because if you read the New Testament, you will see that there is not one way boxed neat that you share the gospels. A common denominator is Jesus Christ dying on the cross, being buried, and rising from the dead. So again, if you read through those passages, and we don't have the time to go through all those things to set up why Jesus does that and all of that stuff, you will see again that throughout the New Testament, there are so many different ways that the gospel is presented, and that is so important to realize. So if you look at that passage in Luke, when you see the word gospels there, it's the gospel of the kingdom, a way of living and being in this world where Jesus is the unexpected king. And so that's one of the ways that Jesus talks about the gospel. If you look through those passages in Acts, you will see that sometimes they go really far back to someone like Abraham. Sometimes they go further back to a common ancestor. Sometimes they just start. But either way... Jesus crucified, buried, and resurrected. Now, why am I so intent on going to those things? Well, I'll tell you, I've heard many people share the gospel, and for whatever reason, we have this thing about us where we tend to want to just talk about Jesus dying on the cross, which is a very important thing. And the cross has become very important imagery for us, and rightfully so. 
right? We have cross necklaces, cross tattoos, cross pictures, all of that stuff. But if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if he didn't resurrect, then you and I wouldn't be in this building right now. So that's just something to remember, that if we get to the point where we get to actually share the gospel, let's not just say that God loved us so much that he would send his son to die on the cross for us. Let's not forget that Jesus rises from the dead and in turn invites us to live a new life from now and into eternity. Does that make sense? So if you're looking for a place in scripture that you can perhaps capture a lot of the essentials for the gospel, I would like to recommend a passage in Titus. So again, if you're looking for a place and you would like to see one of the beautiful ways that the good news of Jesus is put forth in Scripture, I'd bring you to Titus. And as I'm looking at this, I'm seeing uh, our second son, his name is Titus. There's his little handprint in the Bible. That's kind of funny. Anyways, some of you are like, why are you writing in your Bible? I, I'm sorry. <laughs> Titus chapter 3. He came out while I was doing quiet time. Anyways, Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse Three, it says this, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, despicable, hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This spirit he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is sure. I desire that you insist on these things, so that those who have come to believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable to everyone. Wow. That's pretty good. Good job, Titus. I'm so glad the Holy Spirit inspired Titus to do that because that, to me, has to be one of the most succinct and beautiful presentations of the gospel. It covers so much. It talks about God. It talks about God appearing as Christ. It talks about the Holy Spirit. It talks about baptism. It talks about how our salvation isn't bought by works of righteousness, and yet it talks about how, in turn, we ought to be a part of good works. Isn't that amazing? It just covers so much of it. So again, if you're looking for a place in Scripture to see some essential things, Titus chapter 3. Does that sound good? Well, let's keep moving here. So in love we share the gospel. And then as Paul reminds us in that Thessalonians passage, in love we share our lives. In love we share our lives. And why I'm so glad Paul puts this in there is it reminds us that when it comes to sharing the gospel, this isn't just about a life of handing out tracts or screaming from a street corner. Have those things at different points been instrumental in people finding Jesus? Absolutely. But for the most part, we ought to engage in a lifestyle where we are bringing forth the good news of Jesus. And what does that assume? We are in relationship with people. And so that's why I love 1 Thessalonians 2.8. It's not just about saying things, and it's not just about being friendly. I mean, there's a collision, a beautiful collision of these two things. We share the gospel. We share our lives as well. So here's a passage of scripture to me that communicates sharing our lives. 1 John 3.16. You've heard of John 3.16, right? 
What about 1 John 3, 16? We know love by this. It says that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Why is that passage? Well, think about how in every relationship, there is a giving of ourselves that is sacrificial because if we are giving of ourselves in a relationship, that means we're obviously cutting ourselves off from being elsewhere, giving elsewhere. It's a Sunday morning. You're here. You could be sleeping in or surfing or whatever it is, but you decided that you would be here, and being here means that you've rejected to be elsewhere. There's a giving of yourself here. And so in relationships, when you are with others, there is a giving of yourself because you've decided that for that person or those people, you're going to be there. I love a few verses later, John writes, let us not love just in word or in speech. Let us love in truth and action. Amazing, isn't that? Let's not just say that we believe Jesus is Lord and Savior. Let's live this out. So those are the foundational things. Now let's move to the fundamentals. How do we go about sharing the gospel and sharing our lives? And you know what? I don't have the exact way for you to go about and do this because I am not you. And I don't know your personality. I don't know your story. I don't have all the details of your lives. And so I can't just direct you to leave this place and guilt you and say, we need more people to hear about Jesus, so go and do it. I can't do that. But what I can do is give you some things that have been really helpful for me over the years. And so here's some found, or fundamental things that have been really helpful for me. And so the first one is this. We can't share unless we continue to receive. Does that make sense? We can't share the gospel. We can't share our lives unless we ourselves are continuing to receive, if, unless we ourselves are being continued and continually renewed. And so there's a joke that I've heard uh, pastors give about little babies, a lot, a lot of variations. I, I've heard it where pastors talk about that, that word that kids say at a certain point in time, it's that one word. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Kids say mine, right? Have you heard that? And then pastors go on some sort of joke where they talk about how little kids saying mine proves that we're all sinners or something. And, and I totally understand what they're trying to espouse there in the doctrine of original sin and whatnot. But realistically, if, if you're a parent, and you're looking at your newborn child, and you're just thinking about how terrible of a sinner they are, uh, we have free church counseling, and I'd encourage you to go check that out. Because when we're parents, when you look at a newborn baby, it is on wonder, right? It's a miracle every time. And what do parents do, or friends that are coming over to visit after they hand sanitize? Because that's important. Make sure you do that, especially during flu season. They take their finger, and they hope that this little newborn will what? grab it. And they don't do this thing where they tease the baby and like, here, what, that? Gotcha. You sinner can't have it. No, no, they don't do that. They, they put their finger and the little baby holds it on. They go, wow, Jill's grip strength is so strong. You know, and as little Jill grows up and, you know, mom and dad are giving her the bottle, at some point mom and dad want little Jill to what? 
hold the bottle. And, you know, it's so funny. I remember doing this. I think my two-week-old son, I was like, oh, my gosh, that is holding the bottle. I was, it was, like, propped up. There's no way he was holding the bottle at two weeks. But at three weeks, he had it. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying. And later on, when little Jill gets a pull toy, what do parents want Jill to do? Hold it and pull it, Right? And then when little Jill is learning how to eat, mom and dad or grandma or whoever it is giving Jill the spoon and someday she grabs it and she's flinging around and making a mess, we want our kiddos and little human beings that are growing and developing to learn how to what? Hold on to stuff. So then isn't it a wonder developmentally when a few years later and another little human being goes to grab Jill's pull toy that what does she say? Mine! And so we're inclined to go, you sitter, but it's like, no, that kid is developmentally sound. Let's leave little Jill alone. There's a reason why she's saying mine. For several years of her life, everyone was trying to get her to hold on to something. And is sharing important? Absolutely. But we can't share unless we have something to share, and we've learned how to hold on to it. My friends, we will never be able to talk about the goodness and grace of God unless we ourselves are continuing to experience the goodness and grace of God. And if we aren't, it becomes this old, sterile thing that we probably don't want to talk about. And then we just come to church and check it off and all that stuff. It has to be something that we ourselves hold on to. Are we good with that? Let's move on to the next one. We need to embrace our place and the people around us. There's some people that give really, really good hugs, right? I think about Patricia James, see Heidi Fatter back there. Some people give really, really good hugs. And when I think about embracing our place and the people around us, I don't think about that side hug that we do at church. I think about real hugs where you feel like that person actually cares about you and you don't smell bad. Embrace your place and the people around you means that we actually steward our lives where we are. We learn as we get older that we're obviously not the center of the universe, right? The world does, or the universe doesn't revolve around you. I hope you know that. But conversely, there's nowhere else in the universe than, that we can be than where we are. And so there is a house that you live in on a particular street. We're at a church, 42299 Winchester Road, Temecula, California, 92590. We are here. There are gyms that you work out at. There are schools that you attend. There are family members that share meals with you. There are coffee shops that you frequent. Everywhere you go, do you realize that Jesus is inviting you to walk in step with him and share the gospel and your life? That's a part of living. Every single day to remind myself of this, at some point during the day, when I'm walking, it, I will feel my feet hit the ground. And the reason why I do that is because it reminds me that I can't be anywhere else than where I am and that Jesus is inviting me to follow him in that moment too. Embrace your place in the people around you. Don't be running away from Temecula and Marietta or wherever you live because that is where you are. You are strategically placed where you are. I can't be where you are, you can't be where I am, and yet God is with you where you are. So let's steward that. Let's continue to move forward. 
We can't love without learning, which we can't do without listening. So if we actually get to the place where we have the opportunity to share, may I encourage you to do more than just talk the whole time. If you have a friend or a family member or a neighbor, you strike up conversation with a barista or someone that works in your workplace and you actually get to maybe sit across from them. One of the best things that you can do is ask some questions. Here's a really easy one that works every single time. What's your story? How did you get to this point in your life? And you know, because we live in America, most people have some sort of faith story because most of us were exposed to some type of faith. And so when you ask people about their stories, you have the opportunity to love them by learning and listening. That progression is so important to me. Because how odd would it be if you weren't really learning and listening to the people around you? I mean, let's say that there's a coworker that you actually want to invite to Easter. Easter's in a few weeks. And you're walking down the hallway at work, and you've been working with this individual for two or three years, and you see him turn the corner, and you're like, hey, buddy, why don't you come to Easter? I mean, it's like, what? Let's learn some names. Let's meet some people. Let's actually be relational. I know that can sound terrifying, but your name is important, and the people around you, they want to be known and loved as well. So learn how to love by listening. Let's continue to move here. We can't share from anywhere else than where we are. And what do I mean by this? You and I are all in the middle of life and subsequently in the middle of something. And I don't know what that thing is for you, but we are all living right now, which assumes that we are encountering or dealing with something. And the beauty of the good news of Jesus is that it's not just about this one moment in time where we accept and profess him as Lord and Savior. He is good news for us for the rest of our lives in all circumstances, all the time. And as we continue to discover who he is, the reality of that is so much more impactful. And so if you get the chance to share with people about your story and where you're at, I would encourage you to do this. Be honest. When I ask people about their stories, I hear some of the craziest things. You know, just in this past week, I'm thinking about sitting across my office desk and all the different people that came through. I've heard stories from people that were dealing with abuse. I've heard stories from people that were dealing with addiction. Parents who've come in worried about their kids. I've talked to folks who feel incredibly lonely. I've talked to some who want to just drive away and disappear and never return. I mean, I've talked to so many different people. And here's the deal. So often when people are sitting across that table because they're with a the pastor, I assume, they probably think that I'm here for them. That the point of this is for me to sit across from them and for me to help them. But the most powerful thing that I've seen the gospel do, the good news of Jesus Christ do, is remind us that my feet are on the same ground as theirs. 
and when it's disarmed that something about me is more special than them, and they realize that we are two people who have our things, and I can communicate about anxiety or depression or wanting to disappear forever, if I can actually get on their level and people can see that I am no different, that I'm a human being, that is when something happens where we realize discipleship isn't about one person to a person. It's about Jesus to people. So here's the last point there. This is not just about doing. This is about being and becoming. We talk about sharing our faith. When we talk about sharing the gospel, we are not telling you to just go out and do we are reminding you that this is about being and becoming. Let's go to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. You've heard this before, the Great Commission, right? Jesus brings his disciples after the resurrection, and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always till the very end of the age. You've heard the Great Commission, yes? About going and making disciples, or as we are going, making disciples, being lifelong learners of Jesus. I am so grateful that before this little chunk, Matthew inserted verse 17. Does anyone know what Matthew chapter 28, verse 17 says? It says this, when they saw him, the disciples, they worshiped, but some doubted. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. I am so grateful that at this moment when you would assume that there would be no doubt whatsoever, that all fears would be gone, the disciples would so believe that Jesus is there, he's risen from the dead, that life is for him and about him, and he's about to commission them, there would be no doubt. But we see there that in our faith heritage, there is already the propensity for us to be real human beings, to have questions, to not be sure, to wonder if this is in fact real. And the beautiful thing is that even though Jesus knows this, he still commissions them. And as we go forth to make disciples, realize that the whole time Jesus is discipling us as well. That's why it's so ridiculous to pit evangelism and discipleship against one another. They go hand in hand. If we are sharing the gospel and sharing our lives, we are being discipled by Christ. Does that make sense? And so let's begin to wrap this up here. Our, our freedom comes when we realize a few things. You know, a few years ago, I think it was five years ago, I got a phone call from a professor, and he said, Jed, there's a church out in Temecula, and I think that you would do great there. And his name was Dr. Webb, and I love Dr. Webb, but I said, Dr. Webb, I love you, but there's no way that we're leaving our Belinda. And so the very next morning, my wife says, why don't you go look at the role description? And so I say, okay, that's fine. So I open up my Yahoo account, pull out the attachment, and I see this role description for high school pastor, and at the very top it says this, Sunridge's mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. And that got me. You know, right then and there, as a 24-year-old, I saw that and went, whoa, I want to be a part 
of that. And here we are several years later, and I'm so glad that we get to be a part of a church that is helping people find and follow Jesus. And if you're sitting here, if you call this place home, then you are a part of this church family where we get to help people find and follow Jesus. And what I love about this mission statement is it is not just outwardly aimed. It is aimed at all of us because we all need to continue to discover who he is. We all ought to continue to follow him. Every single one of us, those that are coming in, those that have been here for years, we get to help each other and others find and follow Jesus. That is an amazing thing. So on a day where we talk about sharing the gospel, I'd like to close here by bringing us to the one who's brought us together in the first place. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19 says this, and I love this. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you ellipsis. Dot, dot, dot. What, what does he say after that? Fishers of men, fishers of people. I will make you fishers of men. We tend to, you would think in a message where we're talking about sharing the gospel, we would just focus in there and we'd send you out and say, okay, go, let's go fish for people. Let's bring them in. Let's reel them in. Let's place the emphasis where it belongs. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. You know what happens when all of us put the emphasis on Jesus? Again, it doesn't become about a person sitting on the stage and you sitting on the floor. All of us could get up out of our seats and our feet would be on the same floor, this same ground, this same earth where God decided that he would love us so much that he wouldn't just look at us from a distance, but he would actually come and enter into our place at a real point in time. His feet would hit the ground, and he would live a perfect life that looked so ironically imperfect to all those around him because he touched the untouchable, and he went to the marginalized, and he brought worth and value to women and to kids. And so the religious elite and the political figures looked at him as a threat because he did the unspeakable and the unexpected. And as he walked across proclaiming the kingdom, this upside down reality of there being so much more when you are in tune with God, he was eventually crucified on a cross. And all hope looked as if it were lost. And it was the darkest day in history. And those that had followed Jesus for years assumed that everything was done. That was it. This teacher was no more than a lunatic who got what he deserved. He was done. But three days later, as we will celebrate in a few weeks, what happens? The tomb is empty. Jesus rises from the dead. And here we are over 2,000 years later in a building that would not exist if it weren't even for the idea of Jesus. And yet we believe in the resurrection. We believe that this is not just something that we want to say we're certain of. Our convictions are growing in this reality. And this Jesus who rose from the dead gets to invite you and me, not just some of us, but all of us, to live and walk in a new resurrected life. And so we don't look at people like we used to. 
We don't look at this world like we would without him. We see this world around us and we realize that there ought to be moments for every human being as though they were at the top of Angel Stadium looking out and saying, I never knew that the world was this big. I never knew that God's grace could extend to even someone like me. I never knew that I could actually have life that didn't just begin in eternity, but began now. I never knew until you. Let's pray.